everyone. Welcome to episode 22 of the Insight Podcast. It's hard to believe we're already this far along in our journey with this, but I'm super excited. Today, we're welcoming some new friends to the podcast. We have Jeanette Vanderpool and Christian Panito. Jeanette brings a diverse educational experience in terms of teaching and leadership to our conversation. And she currently works at CDWG as an educational strategist. And Christian began his career in the classroom as well as a science teacher. And now he serves as the liaison at AIEDU, helping schools. And I've had the good fortune of crossing paths with both of them in the past few months and thought it would be amazing to have them on here as guests today. So thank you. Welcome to both of you. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. I'm excited as well. Thank you. So to get started, our tradition is to ask a few fun questions that all three of us will answer just to get to know each other a little bit more. And then we'll dive into our topic. Today, we're going to be focusing on AI and the intersection for schools and leadership and what they should be thinking about as this topic continues to develop at such a rapid pace. So up first, Christian, beach or mountains, what do you prefer? Oh, beach by far. I grew up in Southern California, so this is a little bit of a common debate amongst people in Southern California, but I was always a beach person and spent most of my life like living 10 minutes away from the beach, which I love. That's awesome. Jeanette, what about you? So I'm going to be for a loop. Yeah, I'm a Southern California girl, but I'm a lake girl and I love nothing more than just because I live on a private lake called Canyon Lake, if anybody knows it. And I love nothing more than just float in my tube with my grown-up mommy drink. So I'm a lake gal. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, there's always that way to choose a third option. So fantastic. I love both. My maiden name was Beach and it was very hard to give that up when I got married. And my mother-in-law said, do you want him to take your last name? And I thought that was an excellent idea. Uh, So I was always partial to the beach, but I also love hiking. So I'm happy with both of them. That is just the coolest last name. I don't think I've ever met anybody with the last name Beach. You were meant to be in California. Yeah, exactly. It's so good. Oddly enough, my neighbor across the street in high school also had the last name Beach. We were not related. It was just super random and bizarre that we met in high school with the same last name. That is. That is random. Jeanette, e-reader or physical book? I am a good old physical book. I am. I like to fold that. I love how the book feels in my hand. I like to squish it almost like you have a thick stack of money. It's the same kind of feeling. Mm. And then I don't ever, and I know people are going to say there's things to protect against glare. You never have to worry about the glare. I just really like to fold that page and follow along with my finger. I just love that traditional feel. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I need a physical book. I also just love bookstores. My problem is buying way too many books and I actually have time to read. So I just end up having a backlog of just stacks of books on my shelves that I tell myself I'm going to read and maybe will, maybe won't. But that's my trap is just walking to a bookstore and spending like a good hour there. Same, Mm -hmm. especially if they have coffee and I love the smell. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of bookstores. I think that's like my happy place. I love like looking at all the stationery and then all the like ways to like take notes about books and journaling. But I, I also do have books on my phone at all times so I can read wherever I am. So I love that convenience that there's nothing better than having a good book in your hand. All right, final question. Christian, you can kick us off on this one. Cake or pie? Ooh, I'm a pie person, especially if it's like a, like apple pie a la mode is my jam. Mm. I love a good apple pie. I grew up in San Diego. So not too far from San Diego is a city called Julian, which like specializes in like their apple pies. And that's like a very nostalgic memory of mine, just Uh doing the hour, two hour drive out to Julian to get some apple pies. 
Amazing. With you. I love pies as well. And I know exactly what you're talking about, Julian. We t- I take my kids out there to go apple picking and you can get the fresh apple cider and the apple pie, but I'm actually a blueberry pie gal. That is my favorite cakes. I love all the cake decorating or like, is it cake? I love those shows, but to eat, I'm a pie gal for sure. Mm-hmm. Something just amazing about fresh fruit, whether it's like warm and that pie, I don't know, just so delicious. Mm-hmm. And we're getting yeah. into fall. Oh. It feels like the perfect time for pies right now. It is pie time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for playing along. That is just a, a great way to kind of get to know some other random fun facts about each other. And I'd like to start since your new faces to some of our listeners, new voices today, actually. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to focus on AI and education. Jeanette, do you want to kick us off? Hey, so I'm Jeanette Vanderpool, and I used to be a special education school district administrator for a local Southern California school district. Before that, I was an adapted PE teacher and then a professor of education at Azusa Pacific. Currently, I'm on school board for the district that I recently retired from. But then AI, this is just such an impactful component in education. My passion really lies in understanding how this is going to impact career and technical education and just career development for our children, and also how it will impact critical thinking, and then devising plans on ways to support school districts, administrators, teachers, and support staff on how to really encourage and create fostering critical thinkers, and then digital literacy and digital citizenship. So a lot about just making sure that we have those kids maintaining that critical thinking ability, but then also we need to think about their future and their jobs, and we can't just say no AI for anybody, we have to embrace it and how we can help that facilitate a good future for them. Thank you. Christian. Yeah. It's like, I also started in the classroom. So I immediately had my career was teaching and then I kind of did everything all over the board in terms of, of education. I was, I taught high school chemistry. I did some graphic design classes as well. I started teaching in like an after-school programs and like community-based nonprofits and then I got really into just like the CTE game of helping students get into career paths without the need for four-year degrees. And it was in that that CTE world where I was really leaning into the idea of how education is meant to prepare students for the workforce, for their lives beyond school. And this is where I started to get an inkling of like how technology is affecting that space. And this is 2017 or 2018 now. And I kind of took a left turn and got out of education and teaching and went into the research space. And I worked a little bit out of the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI. And I was very deeply interested in how AI and technology in general needs to be this idea of human-centeredness and making sure that ethics and safety are at the center of conversations. And a lot of the work that I was doing there was focused on education still, but from a very like research and inquiry-based perspective. And so I was like doing a ton of learning. And from 2019 through last year, I was just in this extremely exploratory space. And then generative AI kind of blew up and I felt perfectly poised at that time. to like, okay, I now have a really good idea of what AI is and its capacity and how it needs to be kind of thought of through ethically and and with a human-centered lens. And so I wanted to get into this work of helping schools work themselves through that, those questions, those very same questions. 
So AI is like, is a very old technology for considering how like the, the hype around it right now, it's been around for a long time. And so I was just really lucky to have taken an interest in it at the time where it just kind of has blown up in, in the education world. Yeah, I think sometimes we have to start with definitions. I think that's where everybody comes in from different places of understanding of what is an AI, what version are we talking about in relation to schools? I've been trying to frame it under, let's just focus on generative AI at this moment in time to kind of at least build an understanding of what topics we're trying to discuss or build policy around. Just on Monday, I held my first emerging tech council with parents. I had people apply in our district to be ready to have conversations around generative AI and how we would shape policy and things like that in our district. And one parent even challenged me on this notion. She's like, but I want kids in elementary school working on algorithms and I don't want you to just stop at generative AI. And I'm like, okay, excellent. That's why we have this committee and let's go. But again, we have to have like those common definitions in places at least to get started on the conversation because it is a very broad realm and it's hard to know exactly what piece we want to work on. Yeah. You couldn't be more right, Jamie. We have to establish, I mean, in education and everything in general, right? You have to establish clear baseline terms like, okay, mm -hmm. what's the difference between a hill and a mountain and coming up with the difference mm -hmm. and understanding how we all have an equal understanding of that. Do you think a calculator is AI? And how mm -hmm. people answer that? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It's another form of AI. And when you start to establish things that already exist in their life that are AI, I think it really lowers that affective filter of the of being scared about it. But then you also mm -hmm. need to compare it to developmental levels of children and what is appropriate and what's mm -hmm. not. But first things first, I think you did a beautiful job of that, establishing baseline terms and the definitions. What else mm -hmm. did the parents say? Did they have any concerns about it? So I asked them how I want to frame it is let's talk about what we think students need to know on this topic and then what responsible use looks like. And then what do teachers need to know in order to either lead those lessons, but also what productivity can we carve out that teachers can use um, these tools for? Like, how can we, how can we find ways to give them time to have more space with their kids? Like, so that was the idea. If we can, if we can outline tools for productivity that we all say, this is okay to use AI for. So I asked them, I go, I, I go, do you think there's a stigma around teachers using AI tools in education? And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And I was really surprised by that because I expected them to say like, yeah, no, we really don't want the teacher outsourcing to the robots. We really want, the teachers are credentialed, they have degrees, they should be doing the work themselves. And that wasn't the reception that I got, which was fascinating. But then they were more concerned around, are the students using tools that we don't really have control over? So they were interested in the district kind of getting behind one product or one tool and ensuring we have really good data privacy policies. The kids are getting training on that and they just aren't putting data out into the world in random places, which I thought, so I, it was completely different from what I expected. And they also wanted to know, they they wanted to know how they could best support teachers. So it was it was an interesting, like really surprising meeting. That is. And I know you and I have a whole nother thing that we're doing around AI task forces for school, but for mm -hmm. the parent side, whenever you have the, a certain stakeholder committee and you're calling for volunteers, you typically get volunteers of people that already know about that subject mm -hmm. matter. Maybe they work in it and they're interested. So you're having people come in with some sort of an established background of the understanding of it. It'd be really interesting to do some polls and just, you know, walk in the streets, talking to parents and just randomly in the grocery store. Like, what do you think of AI use in education? Getting the people that don't quite have maybe the breadth of understanding, that would be something interesting to look at as well. Just popped in my head. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly what I thought about after I was like, okay, so I have a, I have people that are already buying in, in this meeting who already have that understanding and are already playing with it. But what about everyone else? One student who applied for the committee, she wanted it completely locked down and banned and not happening at all in schools. And so I'm really curious to kind of dig more into her perspective, but I think it goes back to your opening comment, Jeanette, that she's worried about the critical thinking. She's worried about the shortcuts. She's worried about students not really engaging in their learning. And if that happens, how does that change? change the quality of the classroom for the kids that are really putting in the effort. And so that was a interesting note and a takeaway. Right. And then how we can offer solutions for that, because it's here, mm-hmm. that's reality. Mm-hmm. And it's our jobs to come up with the counter narrative to that of how we can ensure that that doesn't that doesn't happen. But I'm excited that I think that we're all are up for the challenge. And this isn't the first time that there's been this kind of technological renaissance, right? And we can Mm -hmm. come together and we can find solutions and it'll just be a different way of doing things. Yeah. I think that's going to be the, that's the shift that I kind of had the last couple of weeks is thinking about this as resistance to change for those that are struggling versus resistance to this particular technology. So just kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, when was the last big innovation that you had a tough time with? How did you handle that? You know, how do we work through it? What resources do you need? Do you need time to play? Do you need time to think it through? Do you need time to apply? All of those pieces versus I'm afraid of this scary technology. And so that's the angle I'm kind of working towards now. I've been thinking about it lately as rather than a resistance to change, it's really just a skepticism to change, right? Like mm-hmm. teachers are very protective of their time and their resources. And as educators should be, it's very limited. And so there's really a skepticism when it comes to change that is put in front of them is, is like, is this something that's going to take too much of my time? Is this something that I really need to buy into right now? And that skepticism is really just a safety, kind of a safety mechanism for teachers and make sure that they can focus on things that are most important to them. But I think the important component there to help get over that skepticism is just information. Like what you were mentioning earlier, kind of just help contextualize what this is, define what exactly what this means and how this might change the world for teachers. And then once that information is offered, then that's when teachers often, at least in my perspective, kind of get over that skepticism and they're like, okay, I understand what this is now and I understand why this is important. And that resistance to change is not as noticeable. To think of it as AI, the myth, the legend, the reality. And Kami, mm-hmm. I just I think that sounds like a good session title right there for something I'll have to mm-hmm. use. But <laughs> always starting off with their perceived barriers that mm-hmm. we use in education and their perceived fears, and then addressing each one singularly with positive examples of how we how we can counteract that and support. Mm-hmm. And I think there's these moments everybody has to go through. So for example, I'm in grad school right now and this all kind of launched right as I'm in the middle of grad school in terms of chat GPT. And I remember talking with my classmates and we're like, we would never use this for school because the early mindset for us students was this would be a way that would be cheating or it would be a shortcut or we would be shortchanging ourselves of this like learning experience. And then somewhere down along the line, after doing more research, playing with the various tools, learning from Christian, you know, going to different sessions, all of a sudden I understood the power of a large language model as a tool. And it wasn't just write this for me. It was give me feedback on this thing. And I was trying to develop a research question and I had just learned about the parameters around that. And so then I wrote my research question in and I said, what am I missing 
Like what makes this not a good research question? And all of a sudden I was like, wait, I just used chat GPT for school. Did I just break the honor code? But it wasn't that at all. Like I had found a way to use it as a tool versus a shortcut. And I think that's what I'm wondering if we have to help get more educators to that moment or to that epiphany, whatever it is, as Christian was kind of outlining, like information to help them not be so afraid or so skeptical. Great example, I think of you. And those are the things that we need to jot down and share whenever we do these, you know, kind of planning sessions with teachers of how did we use it in our own growth and our educational development? Because we're all lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's so many ideas out there, you know, whether you have the students do a research assignment in class so that you can see what they're utilizing. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that they are using peer-reviewed journal articles Mm -hmm. exclusively and explicitly so you can take away and disable certain functions on their district provided device. But I mean, there's a million things that we can share with people to try and put that at ease. But again, it causes us to use our critical thinking ability of how to do it a little bit differently in order not to use certain generated devices. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is like a a shift in perspective, right? It's Mm-hmm. If teachers, I mean, I've heard so many examples of teachers talking about it to their students as, you know, students have to sign an honor code at the beginning of the year that say they won't be using ChatGPT to cheat on assignments. And that's kind of a contextualization of ChatGPT only as a cheating tool to students. So now from a student perspective, I think ChatGPT, I think cheating. Whereas it's shifting the context of how you're framing these technologies, even to students is important because it can be a very powerful tool, like Jamie, the example that you showed, but if mm-hmm. students are kind of pigeonholing chat GPT into this idea of just cheating, that's all they're going to use it for. And that's as far as they're going to take their exploration. So it, I think even part of it is like that shift of, of understanding what this is. That's so important. I hadn't even thought of how teachers talk about this and how that impacts the kids, whether or not they'll use it and use it to its full potential or to any kind of helpful potential. I worry about the kids who don't have any experience with these tools because again, they feel like how I did in the early days of grad school, like I can't use this because, and they're missing out on some really powerful ways to help their learning. So I'm a mom, I have four kids. I have a senior, an eighth grader, a sixth grader, and a first grader. And I asked my sixth grader, I said, Bridget, have you ever used ChatGPT? And her immediate response was, no, that's cheating. And then, of course, we got into a conversation. And it was at that time, I was like, I'm not going to open up a can of worms right now. I'm just going to go with this flow right Mm now. But Christian's 100% right. What is the perception of the students out there that Mm -hmm. is this cheating? How can I utilize it to my advantage instead of having it be something that hinders my critical thinking abilities? So Mm -hmm. very interesting. I'm curious about like if like conclusions drawn between this and the internet, right? Like search Mm -hmm. engines were considered cheating in the late Mm -hmm. 90s and early thousands when it came to how you do research. Like it was a tool that was available, but when I was going to school, I was never allowed to use the internet. It was always Mm -hmm. something that was, I had to do my research in the library. I had Mm -hmm. to pull from peer reviewed journals or encyclopedias. And to think of that now is almost like, it's so antiquated, right? It feels crazy for a teacher to require only library-based research versus when Mm -hmm. there's a tool there for students to access. And I was a student who just always thought that Google was just cheating. And obviously mm-hmm. now my perspective has changed, but like, I think there's needs to be like that switch needs to be flipped at some point, help people unlock that exploratory mindset to like, what else can this be? 
I was teaching a fourth grade lesson. The teacher invited me in and she wanted, forgot what it was to look at this website and have the kids do some research. And so I went in with the assumption that kids knew how to read websites, like they knew design of a website or a web page. And again, I just misunderstood. I forgot that you have to teach explicitly. This is what you look at for a website. Here's the title, find the author, check the date. Are there ads? Yes or no. What type of URL are you looking at? And all of those things we just take for granted that kids kind of understand in this time period. And I think there's some connection there to some of the AI tools that we have to do those very specific lessons with the kids about how to use it, what to consider, what to look out for. And maybe that's where we can get started with some of this work is is thinking about it in those terms. And when it comes to websites, I just got to say, my daughter sure can navigate around like the Lemon website Mm -hmm. or the Nordstrom website, but when it comes to research type websites, no, Mm -hmm. I have to be there and we have to really scan through that and get to the correct components. But it's all about usage, right? And their purpose Mm -hmm. and when they really want to do something about it. And I mean, even if the teacher started with the kind of websites like Lululemon, okay, for some reason, every middle school girl is really infatuated with that right now. But if they utilize that as a learning tool and then connected that and how they're able to navigate through a website that they're really interested in over into something that, you know, you find a researcher article and being able to navigate through that as well. Because ultimately the layouts are the same and you want to find the things that are most important. So that could be a really fun kind of Mm -hmm. curricular idea to add in as well as a baby Mm -hmm. step, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the theme that's happening here is like there's so many parallels that can be drawn between AI literacy and just digital literacy at large. Mm -hmm. Digital literacy is something that schools have been thinking about for decades now. We've been starting to integrate actually teaching our students how to use the internet, how to use computers, how to navigate these things. What are red flags? What are green flags that you look out for? And there's this, I think, understanding amongst educators are now that AI literacy is like a completely new thing now that they have to worry Mm -hmm. about. I feel like in the near future, we're going to come to an understanding that AI literacy is more of a component of digital literacy than something completely different. This isn't something entirely new that schools need to take on, but this is kind of a a door that's been opened and we can't close again and schools cannot ignore that open door anymore. Right. And we have to kind of Mm -hmm. address that, but there are already systems there are tools in place to help schools, to help teachers. And those tools have been built over the past several decades from computer sciences, from digital literacy practices, all of these things, like these are tools that are already in place that can be leveraged. They just might need to be updated a little bit. And I think that's what a lot of leaders are looking to do. That's perfectly said, Christian. I would love to see administrators really utilizing now as we're planning for the 24-25 school year, which is insane, really looking at those professional development days that we have set aside and incorporating a day of digital literacy, incorporating AI literacy, because I agree with you. It is a component. It's not a digital literacy is the broader scale. It's the big umbrella, but really making sure that we get in some AI and digital literacy on those PD schedules that are mandated for everybody, that would be such an amazing use of time. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to our early kind of opening comment about critical thinking. I mean, we have to be discerning consumers of the digital components that are putting in front of us and having that critical eye, understanding Christian, as you said, the red flag, green flag, I think that's a wonderful concept. Like we talk about in our district when kids are on the internet for part of our digital citizenship lesson is if you go someplace and you feel like you're in a dark alley, 
You're like, oh, that feeling you get in your stomach. Oh, this isn't quite right. Like develop that kind of sensor when you're navigating around the internet or in a situation with friends and something doesn't feel quite right, whether it's the physical world or digital world, that internal kind of understanding of something is off or this is good, developing that skill set, I think is important. Yeah, exactly. And I think not until you have that skill set in place, do you actually truly have a sandbox that teachers and students can play? Because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. so many fun things about it, about generative mm-hmm. AI right now. There's so many cool tools out there, but we need these guardrails in place that give teachers this kind of okay, like this is your sandbox mm-hmm. to play within. Here's mm-hmm. your guidelines to work within, but please work and explore within the sandbox and build things and play. And like, actually, like this is where like real learning happens, both for teachers mm-hmm. and for students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that part is so important. If we could find time, as Jeanette, you said on the PD days or just carving out that time for the teachers to play, I think that kind of is part of the skepticism is they don't really have the hands-on experience quite yet. I heard of a colleague, she works at an independent school in Denver and she did at her PD day, she had every teacher use generative AI to plan a vacation. So she could guarantee every single teacher in her school had at least touched a platform and kind of saw what it could do and at least to spark curiosity or have a basic understanding. I thought that was a really good strategy. We just spent with my team last week in Nashville and we had an amazing think tank experience and we had a partner come in and we learned how to create a master schedule using not ChatGPT, but another one. And he mm-hmm. created an entire master schedule in eight minutes and then was able to put it into Infinite Campus is what we use out here in mm-hmm. California. And I was blown away. Think about the tens upon tens, if not a hundred or more hours that mm-hmm. you as an administrator have to use to create a master schedule. And he did it in eight minutes. And it was the most amazing thing that I've ever, I've ever seen. That's what we keep going back to, or people say mm-hmm. that AI is supposed to be able to do is help be able to think deeper about different things and spend more time on things, right? And if we have something for a master schedule, and it seems like now we do. So that's another thing I'm going to look further into. But it was mm-hmm. one of the most, it almost brought tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How beautiful this master schedule came out. If we were able to identify the specific tasks that would give administrators or teachers time back... That's what I'm super interested in. Stuff that we can all agree, this is a good use of the tool. Here's a way to evaluate its effectiveness. But And then you have, yeah, 100 hours of your life back. That's insane. One of my favorite things that I've like had the opportunity to like play with in the last several months is this idea of like communities of practice for teachers. What does it look like when you have like just a cohort of teachers and you take them, walk them through like the basics, like AI literacy, but then take it beyond that. Like here are several tools that you can play with. And we kind of ended in this like five hour hackathon and we just Mm. gave teachers all of the tools at their disposal and said like, okay, now knowing all of these things that you know, what are some things that you would build for yourselves? And we've saw teachers build out chatbots that would help them write out IEPs, which normally would take Mm -hmm. hours for teachers to Mm -hmm. do. And she was able to do it in a matter of minutes with this like AI chatbot that she built herself because it's actually surprisingly not that hard to do, but teachers are never really given the context, the tools at their disposal mm-hmm. and the literacy to kind of explore that. So like those have been so exciting for me just because I don't have the perspective sometimes that like teachers that are in the classroom or I haven't been in the classroom in like six years now. And so mm-hmm. that part of my brain is not always there. And so when you give teachers the tools that give them the ability to build things out, like 
that's when they kind of unlock all of these things. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I'm like amazed by it all the time. You could do unit plan creation, lesson plan creation. You're making sure you have your sub plans in place. You can do different schedules for your parents scheduling for back to school night. I mean, there are so many beautiful things that it can be utilized for to really, really cut down the amount of time that people are spending doing these things. And then so you can get back to the actual education component of it. Yeah, I really see like multiple things happening, but two distinct ones are one, it helps with this efficiency or productivity, like you're able to gain time back. But the second is like the improvement lens, like putting something in one of these tools and making it better or finding gaps. Like I was working on a strategic plan for our district and I had one part I was responsible for. And I had this incredible sense of guilt of like, I know I could use one of these tools to help me formulate this. So I did it all myself by hand first. And then I put the prompt in one of the tools and out came something very similar to what I wrote. And I was like, okay, this confirms that it's at the level that I need, of course, with some nuanced writing. But then I wrote, what did I miss? And I got 10 really brilliant things that I hadn't considered for a district to think about, like sustainability. I mean, that's just not my everyday lens, but of course that's a, that's a great one. And so that I think is like, how do we get people to that point where they see these multiple uses, whether it's creating something new, evaluating or improving. And and I think that would be a good round of training for teachers or administrators to kind of go through. Wow, Jamie, you just came up. If I was a teacher, that would be an amazing lesson right there. I need you to write a five-paragraph article on artichokes. And now I'm going to have you put it into ChatGPT with, you know, you have to put in the prompt, see what ChatGPT comes up with or whatever tool you're going to utilize, submit both, and then do another comparison paper between what the AI generated one did and your own and which one was stronger, which one was weaker, or were there components in both? So I think that could be a really cool lesson right there. Mm -hmm. And then what did you learn about writing in that process, right? So we bring in that metacognitive piece. I think think teachers are scrambling so hard to either throw out their lessons altogether, you know, assessments feel threatened, like, what do I do with that? But, you know, the advice sometimes they're getting is it needs to be more creative, it needs to be more unique, and teachers don't quite know how to react to that yet. You know, it's the nuance is difficult. So I'm just going to pause and just say, this has been fantastic. Like I haven't even asked a single question. We've just like chatted. Maybe we could shift and just think about if there's anything you see that we really want to, like, is there something concrete or specific in terms of advice we could give to teachers or school districts? So maybe thinking in terms of that, are there key takeaways or things people can do right now? What would you say that would help them either tackle this topic or, or find some success in thinking about AI in their school district? Jamie, I mean, this is a question for you, but like given the site network specifically, like these are people that mm-hmm. might already have a good idea, like have done their own exploring in terms of like the capacities, the limitations and the tools, the opportunities for teachers that AI offers. But I think we're a huge wall that CIOs, CTOs and like uh, these people hit is really like, how do you actually take like the first steps that you need to take are often like policies, risk assessments, mm-hmm. data privacy. Like this is a like, huge wall that most people are hitting. Like I want to speak to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, some of one of the things we talked about when we first met was how do we build this network where we're not all doing this in isolation? And even with site and we have a message board and we're sharing ideas and we have regional groups, I still think there's that isolation that we need to find a way to help each other kind of create these and knock down the wall together by instituting the right policies or, you know, it has to be 
adjusted for each district or space, but there is some way to collaborate on this that we're not really finding yet. I think it's imperative that school districts are coming together and communicating with each other across departments, which I know, you know, that's about everything. We need to do a better job on having cross-department communication from CBOs to special ed to curriculum and instruction from our CTOs and, and also the ed tech department as well. But somebody needs to start that dialogue. Personally, what I called for at my last school board meeting was the creation of, of an AI task force with the correct stakeholders. So I took that on as a school board member, and then I'll work with in conjunction with the superintendent and cabinet and different directors to make sure that we can have that done. But if you're a CTO, a CIO, if a director of curriculum instruction that you're on, somebody needs to start that because you need all of the important stakeholders in there together. You need somebody from every department to talk about digital literacy because yeah, we have the software and the IT component, but the curriculum component is just as important and they need to come together. So I encourage anybody out there to, if, you're, if your district doesn't have a task force already created, go ahead and be that person to start it. 100%. Something that like, this is one thing that excites me about AI and I'm going to get a little bit meta for, for, for a second, but one, it's extremely multifaceted and multidimensional. This isn't something that just a computer science teacher is worried about right now. This is something that it's hitting society and education across several lenses. And I think it's a catalyst to change in education right now. I think a lot of educational leaders are realizing that siloed progress is not going to work here. That progress needs to happen in like a symphony of people, of stakeholders, of people, of leaders, of districts, of having several people at the table to contribute. And I think AI is, is, is just a catalyst to that. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where that goes in terms of change and, and innovation happening education, just because I am already starting to see that. I'm seeing task force being stood up I'm seeing multidisciplinary groups, a combination of industry, education, and nonprofits and government people kind of talking about this very thing. And I haven't really seen that from too many perspectives just yet. Maybe it's because I'm very plugged into the AI world, but I'm kind of excited about the collaboration that I'm seeing, not even just in California, but like across the country. So I know the technology is moving very quickly and there's no single answer to how do you solve this? There's a ton of hope in me right now to see a lot of the collaboration that's come from it. I agree. It's a great uniter right now. And, and I have to admit, a couple months ago, I was very leery and a little apprehensive. But it's again, it was the fear of the unknown. And then after I investigated it, and of course, I'm in a different, I'm in a unique position where I'm meeting with Microsoft and Google and Intel and everybody that you can imagine and talking about AI. So I'm very lucky to have that lens and, and the education on that side of the house that really put me at ease and just realized that we've been through this before as far as humans are concerned, right? We have all of these technological re revolutions. And I'm very excited for my own children and what this means. I mean, like I said, I have four kids and I'm thinking about what they're going to do in the future and how this could just really bring it up to the next level and learning to embrace, not push away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people are realizing this is it's differentiated from a lot of the other technological fads that have come through education. This is a little bit different than VR. It's a little bit different mm -hmm. than crypto, right? Like this is something that is affecting education already, but 
we're already seeing AI kind of take prolific effects in the workplace. So many jobs now are leveraging AI. Workers are leveraging AI. There's a lot of worry about AI in, in the workforce as well. And there's this kind of understanding that the technology is already pretty well integrated on a societal level. And so as educators, we want to prepare, prepare students for what that society looks like after they leave schools, that AI should be a component of that as well. And I think that's kind of what differentiates that from something like VR or something like crypto that maybe never really changed society quite to the level that AI is right now. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think about the courses that we're offering, thinking in terms of the CTE courses, like what are the pathways? What are the experiences students need? What courses or electives do we offer at our schools that need a little bit of an update because they're already being accomplished by AI. So I think that's going to be a concern that schools really should think about in looking at their schedules. Absolutely. And how this, of course, if you do form a task force, how this will inform board policy and the creation of any board policies around that. Are we going to see a change in state standards? Are we going to start mm -hmm. seeing more of this incorporated, which I'm absolutely not against? I mean, that mm -hmm. would be <laughs> right in there. Um, but are we going to see that be a more ma a mandated part of it? I think our CTE pathways definitely encompass this already a lot with the digital literacy and di digital citizenship, but it needs to be a component in every single class from PE to advanced physics, from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade that mm -hmm. this is something because it for me it also carries over into social media and when children are you know they just kind of think that they're not real people on the other side of that phone or on the other side of that computer they act very differently and so when we are incorporating digital literacy and digital citizenship into all of our courses mm -hmm. and talking about AI it's helping reconnect the human perspective and the human component to them. And mm -hmm. so it carries over into all of the different online domains that kids are a part of now. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because I heard something today. I don't know if you guys have listened to the Hard Fork podcast, but they feature AI topics every single week. So I was listening to it today and they just released, or I don't know how long it's been out, but there's a tool called Hey Jen. And it pretty much lets you, like Jeanette, if you made a training video. Well, because I am Jen and, in real life. So I'm like, yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. Hey, so if you've made a training video and you wanted that video translated to other languages with your mouth moving in the right way, this yes. can do that. Or you could re-script it and make an entire new training video, which is about 90 seconds of something you already have. So this is, I mean, immediately camera crews, like when you talk about job impact, you can think about it in a couple of ways, like what jobs just disappeared, but what access was just gained for people potentially in different languages. If you're, if you have a, you know, a podcast, for example, and it's not translated, this can translate it in your voice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's that angle. And then the other part they brought up is another tool, character AI, and it's these chatbots that are essentially celebrities or whatever. So when you mentioned you know, before you were, you kind of got over your fear. My fear spiked today listening to this, that there might be younger students interacting with a fake Taylor Swift or a, a you know, fake Snoop Dogg and having okay. conversations and not distinguishing between the real and the human again. So is there some sort of 
I don't know what we have to now start thinking about. We did this before, as you said, when kids were having digital or online friends, they don't see a difference. They're just their friends. We are of a generation of like, no, that's that's an online person you've never met before. There's something different. But now when we throw chatbots into that mix, I don't have an answer or a question, but I was just astounded by learning about these two things today. Uh, just the implications are really fascinating. Yeah, this is where like I'm a huge advocate of AI literacy versus just teaching mm-hmm. about AI. Mm-hmm. It's less about teaching students how to build algorithms or use AI tools. I think it's more about teaching students around the ethics and the responsibility of mm-hmm. using technology and and being critical thinkers when it comes to the applications of this and the consumption of this technology. Like that, I think is far more important because those are the kinds of things that make me nervous too. Even something like it's been around forever, but AI generated images still make me worried mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. As citizens, we're just we're all digital citizens, whether we want to or not. And digital content is just a huge part of our lives. And when the more powerful AI gets, the more powerful is able to influence those digital lives of ours. And so mm-hmm. I'm a huge thinker of like, we need to make sure students are equipped with this ethical mindset, this critical eye. Those like like I was saying before, this like what are the green flags? What are the red flags? Like that mm-hmm. is super important to teach our students before we teach them how to train this logistic regression model to or a chatbot. Like that's not as critical to me. That's what I'm thinking. Like my takeaway from learning and this conversation with both of you is that we have to have a framework that is grounded in the digital literacy and citizenship and whatever new tool pops in, we still have this same reaction that we talk about how to discern the impact, the ethics, whatever it might do to us as humans and like have that lens, but think critically, fact check, you know, not be so quick to spread things that you hear without knowing if it's true or not, which we should do all the time. I think there are just those good pieces and practices that we have to help our kids understand. Well, I think that since October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, what I really want to see schools doing is launching something that we can do at each school, at elementary, Mm -hmm. middle schools, high schools, and bringing up a different component, having something done at lunchtime, talking about the, you know, the Hey Gen that you spoke about, or Mm -hmm. character AI. We can Mm -hmm. talk about online predators, all of that kind of stuff. And also, you know, how to respect each other online. We can make Mm -hmm. it really positive as well. But I would love love, love, love to see school districts, you know, in partnership with their ASB, or maybe if they Mm -hmm. have something called like a plus program or character builds at each Mm -hmm. school site, build something out each day that really focuses on this. And then also maybe build a parent workshop around Mm -hmm. this in the month of October as well. Challenge accepted. Thank you for that. So good. All right. I'll meet you. I'll get my district to do it too. I love the call to action. Then I I agree. I I totally agree because this is like we've been talking about the past, I don't know how long, this is something that's like very well integrated into our lives right now. There's mm-hmm. no putting the cat back in the bag, right? This is something that mm-hmm. we should be preparing our students for. And there's so many ways to do that. The technology is going to keep changing very quickly. So if you are focused on one specific use case or one specific tool, that focus is going to quickly come out of focus in the next three months. And so Mm. thinking about what are the through lines that are going to be true now and in the future. And those through lines are often rooted in things like ethics and impact and digital literacy and digital citizenship. Like those are the things that are going to be true now and in the future, no matter how advanced the technology is. I think we just have to end the show there because that can't be said any better way. So yeah, thanks for the mic drop, Christian.
This has been such a fun conversation. So thank you both so much for joining in. I'm excited for our future partnerships and things that we're going to work on together. I think this we're building out a really powerful little network here. And I'm I'm just encouraged by the way we're we're thinking about things and tackling these difficult but exciting topics. So before I close out the show, if you have something that is a recommendation, it could be a restaurant, an app, a movie, a book, anything that you think would be interesting for our listeners to check out, I'd love for you to share. I'll go first if you need 30 seconds to think. I always love recommending a book called The Nature Fix. It's just an amazing story about how when you take breaks from technology or get outside, wonderful creativity can happen. So balancing being on a tech podcast, talking about really exciting emerging tech, having a book like that, I think is a great way. And it talks all about how when you're outside in nature, your stress levels actually drop. That's why doctor's offices might have pictures of lakes, back to Jeanette's favorite place in the world, or aquariums, things like that. So there's powerful science around being outside. And so I think that's a really interesting interesting book to check out. So that's my recommendation for this episode. I love that. I actually do want to look into that. The first thing that popped in my head, I'm currently, for some reason, my in my bookstore explorations, kind of going back to our first question, I picked mm-hmm. up this philosophy book, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And it was, it's been mm-hmm. so, such an interesting book to me. For me, it's just really cool to read a book that was written centuries ago that kind of speaks to the human condition and how true mm. things are now as they might've been centuries ago. And I think it's just really cool to put into perspective of where we are right now in history, I guess. Okay. If you are really interested in like an existential thought. Yeah, please. thank you. So I could say a book, but what I'm going to use, because this is Cybersecurity Awareness Month and we want yes. kids to be safe. I absolutely love the Bark app, which I downloaded and it mm-hmm. monitors all four. Of my, well, the first grader doesn't have a phone, but the other three, it monitors mm-hmm. their social media and their phone usage. And it will tell me as a mom if they've downloaded something new and I can monitor for keywords that I don't want to use. I mean, of course, I steal all their phones when they go to take a shower or something like that anyways. But this it's a really great app that's just helped give me kind of ease of mind as a parent over their safety on their phones when I can't check it all the time. And so I, I do encourage that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, Jeanette and Christian, I just want to thank you both for joining this episode. It's been really, really fun to have this conversation. I can't wait to actually listen to it again. I have a whole page of notes that I was scribbling down and I really appreciate our call to action to everyone on how they can take take initiative and make something happen this month that supports our students. So I want to close by uh, giving a shout out to our site media team. Thanks to Charlie and Tuda for all your support on this production and shout out to Andrea and Laurel for all that you do behind the scenes to make site an amazing organization to be a part of. Thanks everyone and have an amazing rest of your day.